Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and I'll be joined in this episode by Cameron Brooks and Dan Reed. Cameron and I will kick around the idea of the crisis of masculinity. What does the Bible have to say about what it means to be a man? Then I'll talk to Dan about the upcoming official relaunch of small groups at Grace and how we hope these groups can help in our quest to discover more community. The old barometer for cultural influence used to be whatever people were talking about around the water cooler at work. But we don't gather around water coolers much anymore, and for the past year, a lot of us haven't even been going to work. The new litmus test is probably sharing links. You know an idea has caught on when all your friends are sharing links to posts and podcasts about it. My first hint of how big the crisis of masculinity had become was when people I knew online and in person kept asking if I was reading a site called The Art of Manliness. There's a blog, a podcast, years worth of content on the art of manliness that asks the question of what it means to be a man. To be honest, I was a little perturbed. My friends weren't asking me for advice on manliness. They were pointing me to a source where I could get advice, which implied that I needed it. Whether we're talking about something as innocuous as trying to learn how to be more manly from a blog post or something as serious as making up from scratch a new definition of what it means to be a man, it's hard to argue with the fact that there's a lot of anxiety out there on this topic. So in this episode, Cameron and I, two liberal arts, theology-reading, book-nerd kind of guys, are going to delve into the mystery and the crisis of masculinity and see what we come up with. When we record episodes of the commentary, Cameron and I will often sit around in advance just talking over topics and deciding uh, what do we want to cover this week. And uh, sometimes we're inspired by things that are happening in church, sometimes things that are happening in the world around us, maybe remarks or questions that, that people have made. But one of the things that we've kind of hit on week after week and have put off talking about is the question of the crisis of masculinity. It seems like in culture we're, we're constantly confronted by different versions of this, whether it's talk about toxic masculinity or uh, complaints in some quarters of the so-called feminization of the church or whatever it is. There's, there's all of this anxiety around what it means to be a man. And so be patient with us, female <laughs> listeners. Uh, we, we trust that this will be a relevant conversation for everyone. But we thought we might take a crack at this topic and particularly what it is about this conversation that, that, that makes us keep coming back to it and wanting to, to say something. So, so Cameron, maybe I'll just ask you, like, how would you describe the the crisis of masculinity that that we see in our culture. I would want to start with a broader crisis, maybe of 
of just gender. I mean, uh-huh. I don't know if I would call it a gender crisis. Maybe we could call it that. But there's certainly a significant emphasis on on gender and sexuality in American culture, and that's undeniable, and I sure. don't really need to tell anyone that. So the the crisis or the conversations around masculinity stem from from that. And the way I see it is that both within the church and outside of the church, men are curious about what it means to be a man and and not a woman. And yet, more broadly, people are just kind of curious what it means to be sexual beings, I think. It, it seems that's what's going on. And Christians have been talking about this for a few decades. I mean, a lot longer than that, of course, but like... We've got councils and all kinds of publications coming out about what it means to be a Christian man and Christian woman. And it is a a topic that interests me as a man. I I don't deny that. But sometimes the conversation seems a little bit inflated as well. So I'm kind of curious, how do we we step into the conversation rightly? And just kind of how do we think about this as, as Christians? Well, I mean, I, I feel like I see a couple of prongs or like expressions of this crisis. And, and I will admit that, that I have a certain amount of skepticism towards the idea of a crisis of masculinity, okay. which, which I'll try to explain. But um, I, I see two kind of paths, let's say, in the culture where uh, one of them is a sort of... Uh, it's like the bro thing, you know, or, or we want to get in touch with what it means to be a dude and, and what it means to be a dude is to be sort of, um, aggressive and, and, um, well, aggressive, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and like you gravitate towards what you might think of as like stereotypical, uh, I don't know, frat boy behavior or something like that. And, and that's how you define uh, what it means to be a man. And even as I describe it, you can, you can hear kind of the, the critique, which is that this is really just a pursuit of a stereotype, Mm -hmm. um, like a feeling that you've somehow gone soft and you need to, to embody some sort of a, a hard stereotype in the past. There's another kind of expression of it that that maybe I'm more susceptible to and it's it's almost like the nostalgic one where there's that sense of um like like modern man like we've lost touch with something that we should have inherited mm-hmm. and it wasn't passed down i always think of that scene in in Whit Stillman's film Barcelona where they're all talking about uh, shaving and one of the guys is is criticized because he's shaving against the grain. Mm. And he doesn't know that that's even a thing because his dad used an electric razor. And so he, no one ever told him how to shave. And he <laughs> has this sense of having been deprived of his heritage. And I think there are a lot of guys who feel that way and then are drawn to, you know, this conversation about, you know, how to be a man. What are the skills that mm-hmm. every man should have? You know, what kind of knowledge should we possess in order to call ourselves men, that kind of thing. And you see, you know, a lot of that going on, but I think something that you said earlier is, is really helpful, which is that um, if there's a crisis, 
this this masculinity question is downstream from from a larger crisis and i'm going to say that's that's the identity crisis Mm -hmm. and it's the crisis that came from the i'm using quotes here death of god once philosophy and eventually culture came to accept that there is no god and therefore no uh, innate meaning, no uh, givenness to creation because there is no creation as such. The trauma of that has led to a series of crises that are all centered around this question of, well, who are we then? Mm-hmm. If we have no meaning and no purpose, if uh, we are simply you know, an arguably more evolved kind of animal, uh, then all sorts of questions are on the table. And so where kind of in the, in the first blush of that realization, we just did a lot of depressed art about meaninglessness. <laughs> we're now sort of past that and we're in the let's come up with new answers for ourselves phase. Hmm. So if there is no givenness to being male or female, there's no givenness to being a human being, then it's up to us to sort of construct what that must look like. And it follows that we will now assume that all past thinking about this question was also just a social construct as well. Right. Because if, if there is no God now, then there never was. And all, of, all there ever was was human beings making stuff up for themselves. And so that's what we see, kind of a, a, let's say, like one wave after another of this reinvention of self. And ultimately, I think self and the, and the invention of self is, is what all of these various crises are about. But, but here's what frustrates me when we talk about this question, especially in the context of the church, because you do see a lot of, of things being written and a lot of teaching that is meant to resonate with people who have these kinds of questions Mm -hmm. about themselves. And my problem with the way a lot of it is formulated is that the way the problem is framed it becomes possible to answer it by just saying, embrace the stereotype, Mm -hmm. Uh, be a man. If you have questions about that, watch John Wayne movies or, (laughs) you know, something like that. And Mm -hmm. so we're in this weird situation where, you know, otherwise responsible Christian leaders would seek to justify what is objectively sinful behavior because you know boys will be boys and and you know it's it's inappropriate to attack masculinity by calling people out for doing things that are called wicked in scripture you know it it makes no sense but i think it's it's by framing the question wrongly we find ourselves kind of seeking the wrong answers so it's got to be understood as a crisis of the absence of God, which means 
the only way of answering these questions is to go back to the reality of God. Like there is no substitute that you can put in God's place as a foundation and then build some other kind of way of understanding yourself on top of it. Okay, I've got a a few thoughts. So what I've been seeing is that there are some non-Christian thinkers today that are trying to ground a kind of masculinity or maleness in like biology and and psychology. So Jordan Peterson is maybe the most like prominent example of this. But there are others who are who are trying to say no look like you know your Y chromosome or your testosterone related affect who you are as a man and not a woman and that should show itself or does maybe just descriptively does show itself in certain tendencies or behaviors and that those those things are what it means to to be a man um so that's you know god's not there but that's kind of like a a general revelation argument and i've actually seen some christians step in and say yeah we actually like this we like that these non-christian thinkers are acknowledging that that the way god created men is a certain way and that that actually has something to say about what it means to be a man so do you think this is a, an instance where we can we can run with some of these thinkers or should we still be wary about going in that direction without setting God as kind of the, the, the basis or the center? Yeah, can I say both? <laughs> I, sure. I think, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, so Christians get excited when anybody famous says anything vaguely religious. <laughs> so the fact that biologists say something that that seems to make them allies in this conversation um, you know, great, you know, I, I, I get it, but, but here's where I think that the challenge is like, I like framing that in terms of general revelation. And I completely agree that, uh, you know, truths discovered regardless who discovers them about God's creation are, are true truth mm-hmm. and can be a basis for understanding how God has made us and and made the world, all of that. Um, I think the reason why we see those arguments like running into difficulty is that I I feel like it's, it's another attempt wittingly or not to invent a substitute for God. So if you read uh, Terry Eagleton's book, Culture and the Death of God, he articulates kind of the, the project of Nietzsche this way, you know, that, that Nietzsche's calling out philosophy for trying to say there is no God, but then maintain Christian morality as if there was, mm-hmm. you know, and so he's calling for like a, a morality that is post-Christian, basically. And that is a more honest call. Like if you, if you believe there is no God, then you have to embrace the meaninglessness. You can't just put something in its place, but instead you see like this attempt generation after generation to elevate something. So in the enlightenment, you know, you've got reason with a capital R we can, we can worship reason and reason can kind of be our foundation uh, in the romantic period. It's, it's like art with a capital a, mm-hmm. you know, the poets are the unacknowledged legislators and, <laughs> And eventually, I think we get to our period, and you might say biology with a capital B is mm-hmm. now going to define who we are 
But I think that is also fraught with its own problems because if we reduce reality to biology, uh, we are reducing a lot of things about what it means to be human, right? If, if I was saying to you, your experience of love is, is merely a chemical reaction, you would recognize that uh, it's an impoverished view of love and, and of reality. And so I think the, the problem is you're asking biology to carry more weight mm -hmm. than it reasonably can be expected to do. So I think it's good as far as it goes, but if you're expecting to be able to take God out of the equation, put biology or anything else in its place, and then get to have that sense of identity as given, as created, it's, it's just not going to happen. I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's say we take the goodness of biology, you know, whatever biology tells us about what it means to be one sex and not the other as Christians. And then we take God as the center of, of who we are and, and a robust new Testament theology or anthropology, what changes or what adds on to that, that biology? I totally agree. It's not enough to tell us, you know, who we are completely, but is there, is there some new addition then we start talking about like theological virtues or if the problem is encouraging people to live a stereotype, mm -hmm. then the answer is more like encouraging them to pursue virtue, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are concerned about like, what does it mean to be a man? And am I doing manhood correctly? Mm -hmm. And that sort of thing, rather than pointing you to, you know, cowboys or the stoic philosophers as an idea I think it would be more constructive to point you towards like biblical ethics and, and the pursuit of Christ, the pursuit of virtue, that that is the way that the Bible expects us to pursue uh, like the working out of, of who we've been called to be. And so I'm not looking to say, you know, Cameron, I need you to be more manly. It's Cameron, I need you to be more virtuous. I need you to be more Christ-like which there's overlap there, but there's also difference. I think it, it, it's a better compass point, more biblical frame of reference, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. I, I'm not saying that the anxiety isn't legitimate. I think that the confusion that we see all around us and that we feel ourselves is a result of a real trauma, of a real... Um, experience of absence and we are asking these questions legitimately because if there is no god then these are exactly the questions that we've got to think about the problem is when in our arrogance we begin to believe that there truly is no god and we are truly able to answer these questions any way we choose to do um because we simply don't have the power to bend reality to our will in that way. I think that is, is not an expression of our enlightenment so much as it is another way of, of our self-destructive tendencies to, to come out. And, and so I, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is 
The problems may look new, but I feel the solutions are always the same, right? There's not a, there's nothing going on in our culture that's alien to the New Testament's teaching. We don't need to rethink what we're doing. We need to recover what we've abandoned. Well, I hope listening in on our conversation didn't provoke a crisis for you. Let's shift gears for our next segment. One of the longings that's central to Grace's identity as a church is the longing for more community. And one of the ways we try to satisfy that longing is through our small groups. During the pandemic, for obvious reasons, we had to suspend those get-togethers. But in the week to come, we're officially relaunching. Dan dropped in to have a chat with me about what that means for everybody at Grace. Oh, this Sunday at Grace is the 18th of July, and we are reaching another milestone in our slow march back to normalcy. Our small groups are officially relaunching this Sunday. Uh, Dan Reed, who is our Director of Discipleship and Education, is taking on the formidable task of organizing small groups and facilitating the smooth running of our various groups. So Dan, give me a, a little bit of a taste of what to expect this week as small groups relaunch. I'm excited. We've been thinking about this for a while. I know the whole church has been contemplating this for a while, and we're finally getting started. We will be having groups meeting on Sunday afternoons and Wednesday evenings, and our goal is really to get people together and get into each other's lives. We want to spend quality time together on a regular basis. We want to get to know each other uh, in our church, uh, and we want to pray together uh, and share some of our concerns and uh, just be invested in each other. So we have four groups in total mm-hmm. and people who were already involved in small groups prior to the pandemic should expect to receive some contact mm. from the leaders of these groups. So the group that you were already in, or in some cases, because groups have changed a little bit, the leader of the closest thing to the group huh. that you were in. Mm-hmm. And so those people should expect to get some contact via email from a small group leader. Uh, people who have not yet experienced small groups at Grace, maybe mm-hmm. you came to us during the course of the pandemic or hadn't been involved in small groups before, this is a great opportunity to get involved. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's never been a part of small groups before, Dan, how would they get involved in a group? Yeah, so we'll have a couple different options for people. Uh, One of the things you can do is you can go up to uh, the website, the church website, uh, graceforsuefalls.org, and there is a sign-up button. It should be one right on the homepage that you can click on, uh, give us some information, uh, name, email address, really simple things. Uh, We will also have sign-ups at church. Uh, If you're like me and just want to sign up while you're thinking about it, uh, just do that at church. Otherwise, feel free to contact me. Uh, I know my number and my email address is in the bulletin. 
we want to make this as simple as possible for people. We're not trying to make it complicated. Um, just talk to me. That's fine, too. Uh, we just want as many people as we can get in small groups. Um, however, that w- whatever method you need to use to get it. Yeah, I think that's the the right bottom line. That when in doubt, just contact Dan, and <laughs> Dan will happily smooth over the cracks and and help you get where you need to be. Basically, mm-hmm. you just have one choice to make, which is what mm-hmm. works better for you: Sunday afternoon or Wednesday evening, and whichever works best for your schedule. You can go with a group that meets on one of those times or another. If you've already been part of a group, as I said, then you will essentially just continue doing what you were doing before. If you need to change things up, if your schedule has changed, maybe you were doing Sundays, but now Wednesdays would work better. You can also make a change like that as well. Mm -hmm. And you can do that through the website or just by talking to Dan. Mm -hmm. And of course, even if you don't manage to sign up and you don't manage to talk to Dan and you just show up, that's also fine. Uh, All of the procedures here are are meant to help you and, and guide you along the path. We obviously want our small groups to be something that you can always drop in on and, and invite people to as well. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks, as always, to Dan and Cameron for joining me. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you spending this time with us. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org. 